and welcome to the Plain Talking UK podcast. My name is Matt and in this week's show there is some worrying reports coming out of Warsaw Airport. Our favourite low-cost airline signs a sustainable fuel deal in Amsterdam and it looks like batteries and hydrogen are to become a reality under a new group of aviation experts. In the military, two unique telemetry aircraft fly against a Russian missile launch and the women air f- the, and the women Air Force service pilots celebrate their 80th anniversary. Oh, that was quite a mouthful. Joining me this week are aviation podcast royalty in the form of the old pilot, Nick. And of course, it is Captain Andy from Acme Orange. Welcome. Hello, and uh, Hello, even. <laughs> Hello. You can tell Hello, I'm not. You, t- you can tell I'm not used to doing the intro, can't you? <laughs> what, what gave it away? <laughs> I'm well, at least not. you made your mic live. Don't worry about. Well, it. yes, yes, absolutely. That makes a change, doesn't it? <laughs> never, never remember to do that. Uh, Nick, we'll start with you. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm uh, fair to middling. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, you see, I've got a nice haircut. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, look yes. At that. Always oh. fresh, sir. Always fresh. The summer is nearly here, isn't it? I mean, it, it comes and goes a bit, but we've had some nice sunshine. Mm. No, I'm I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, I'm pretty busy. the The lady wife has uh, uh, had part of her undercarriage um, repaired, uh, so she's got a new knuckle joint in the middle of her folding gear. Right. And um, <laughs> on one side, so, you know, we're hoping that that will uh, be good. She's uh, not uh, getting around too well yet, but uh, I'm having to do everything else <laughs> in oh, well. the house. Although, to be fair, um, <laughs> she's helping out quite a lot now. So oh, that, bless. Good. But, it, it, you know, doing uh, doing two people's jobs right uh, it's yeah. quite hard I find. I, well quite absolutely well a speedy recovery uh, i'm sure i'm sure she'll be uh, running rings around you again in no time <laughs> i'm sure she will exactly <laughs> and uh, another guest that we have with us today helping out i'll explain where the rest are we do as i say we've got armando here say hello, say hello armando <laughs> or, or not oh uh- Oh. Well, there was an ambulance driving by, so I was going to oh. hold off. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll come back to Armando in a minute then. Uh, joining us also uh, is uh, Captain Andy. Thank you very much for joining us from Acme Orange, of course. Hello. Yes. Thanks for having <laughs> me back on again. A pleasure. It's, uh, a pleasure. It's always nice to be on the show. It's nice to see uh, Nick as well. I haven't spoken to him in a while. And uh, I'm enjoying Armando's webcam view of well, quite. Uh, <laughs> the airport. It's yes. brilliant. Yes. I did enjoy that ambulance going past. I hope the person's all right. right. Well, yes. Yeah, uh, I'm all good. Um, the world That's is all right. It was again. just one of the captains who was late getting to his aeroplane. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's an efficient way to get on station. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent command skills <laughs> to uh, commandeer that. Yeah, like I say, flagging down an ambulance as it goes past. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah I'm, I'm good. I'm busy. I'm very busy at the minute. Yeah. I'm back to flying full time now. Yeah, this is wow. day one today. Today's been an office day, so I've spent the day working in my office here. Yeah. Uh, and then tomorrow I'm off to Santorini and then somewhere in Turkey the next two days. Oh, so yeah, it's all good. Blimey, no, ne- never a dull moment in your world then. No. <laughs> Indeed. All right, we'll see if we can cross over to Armando now, who is going to interrupt our wonderful webcam view for a moment. Uh- <laughs> oh, no, I'm just going to keep this view right here. Every single one of the, well, I cornered about 50 people to sign a, a release, right. you know, a, a media release. <laughs> so those same 50 people are just going to keep walking back and forth from the 
you know, from the left to the right, to the left good. to the right, right. To the left to the right. <laughs> Hopefully, they don't actually have anywhere to be. Right. I mean, have we discussed fees uh, involved in this particular enterprise of yours? Or <laughs> well, as soon as I said PTUK, they didn't expect anything. So fair enough. Yeah, that's probably production <laughs> values of this podcast yeah. have gone through the roof. If you now have extras, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, live hey. from. So, whereabouts in the world are you, Armando? So I am in the atrium of the Charlotte Douglas International Airport. I'm flying to Denver uh, to direct flight. Uh, I am. I did get bumped up to business class, so it's nice. I'm going over to flight safety uh, for the next, you know, four days or so for recurrent training. Um, but man, I could just gotta mind my p's and q's tonight because I've got two uh outstanding airline <laughs> captains on so i can't make things up like i usually do so. right. <laughs> okay. we're trying to trying to keep it up, up, above the magic 50 percent then tonight are we if only you could hear me shouting at my phone when i'm out on a dog walk <laughs> and i'm listening to your podcast and you guys come up with some blather right going, okay yeah. <laughs> I, I understand well, there was something that particularly excited you uh, in, the, in the, only the recent episode, Nick. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I immediately uh, put pen to paper and uh, wrote Carlos a rude note saying that uh, <laughs> if the aircraft pressurization uh, of, uh, what was it, a Fokker, a Virgin uh, in Australia is uh, 8,000 and it reads 8,300. We don't panic. There's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. <laughs> and uh, and just like the um, the uh, inquiry said, uh, there was absolutely no problem with the aircraft whatsoever. But Carlos seemed uh, intent on telling everyone that there was a fault with the system and the crew did very well to get their airplane down when actually <laughs> it was not really a problem at all. But well, you know, we, what, can, what more can I say? We, we like to, um, we, we like to, you know, over-exaggerate and, and, and things obviously. Well, well I, uh, <laughs> we at least are here to 50%. I mean, for heaven's sake. I, I would well, argue that we did our job uh, excellently because it, we evoked the emotion of the, <laughs> the old man walking his dogs yelling at his phone. So basically, we're an Oscar-winning movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a win. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for a, for a moment, I turned into the old curmudgeon. Right. Uh, <laughs> Fuming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, a, re- a result then for us. So, uh, so I just wanted to sort of thank everybody who's joined us in the chat room this evening. Some guy called called Carlos Stebbins is in there at the moment. He's supposed to be very busy, so that's that's quite frustrating. Uh, Lee Davis, uh, welcome along. Tony S, main man Micah, uh, Masha, uh, Richard Adams, Dirk S, um, we've got GB's Model Zone, and Mazus Karim uh, all in the chat room. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, it's uh, Don't forget, of course, if you do listen to uh, the show, you can listen to the audio version. Uh, anybody listening on that side, I should say, can join us by coming to YouTube. YouTube uh, going to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash plain talking UK. That'll take you straight to the uh, YouTube page where you can come and join us in the chat room and help shape the, sh- the, the shape. I did it so much better in rehearsal. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you can shape the conversation of the show by being in the chat room and uh, keeping all of us on our toes, basically. Well, OK, if everybody's ready, then I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that we haven't got Armando for very long. So we want to try and get on as much as we can. So if everybody is ready, shall we get underway? No, let's, let's not. Go. Let's just drink beer. OK, right. Yeah, we we'll, we'll do that as well. <laughs> <laughs>
and we'll start with our first story, which is with Nick. And it's uh, it's worrying reports that have been coming out of Warsaw Airport over the last day or so. Is that right? Oh, I'll, I'll best I read this and then we can find out more. Well, um, this uh, comes from Simple Flying for simple pilots and simple people. Um, That's why we like them. Warsaw Airport well, apparently was closed due to threats against aircraft. I don't know. Perhaps the old curmudgeon was at the end of the runway shaking his fist. <laughs> Fuming, yeah. So it was on April the 21st when Poland's Warsaw Chopin Airport was temporarily closed after a bomb threat to an Emirates flight from Dubai. Uh, EK-177 was on approach to Warsaw Chopin Airport uh, when it received a message from air traffic control that it had hazardous material on board, a term we will come back to. Uh, the Boeing uh, 777-31H, brackets ER for uh, extended range, I think. Registration, Alpha 6 Echo November X-ray, landed safely at 19.40 local time. It was about 40 minutes past 5 UTC. And taxied to a remote part of the... Oh, who said that? <laughs> of the airport. <laughs> Pardon me, Mrs. The airport's <laughs> flight was the last to land before the airport was closed for around two hours. Lucky they got in just before the airport closed. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm joking. They closed the airport as soon as it landed because right. it was carrying hazardous material. Okay. Um, so in that um, – oh, sorry. What it seems incredible, the exchange between ATC and the pilot, which was captured – by uh, Vass Aviation, and is on YouTube. If you want to listen, a link will be in the show notes. Uh, it takes around six minutes for the controller to tell the pilot it's a bomb threat. In that six minutes, air traffic slowly moves from hazardous material to saying, uh, okay, we have information that the duty officer of the aerodrome has informed you that you have a bomb on board. Uh, significant difference, and um, mm. I'll quickly explain here. Hazardous material is like something in your cargo that, uh, you know, has a threat if uh, it breaks open. Mm. Uh, it might be a, an acid or something. Uh, it should be well packed, but you often have to declare it. You need to know it's on board, uh, and um, there are certain actions you might need to take. Um, well, and also, but, presumably, if it, but the, my, my concern here also is that if it is hazardous materials, presumably the pilot uh, um, should have very much been aware of that before they took off? Absolutely. Yes. We, yeah. we get a, uh, a, a declaration of hazardous material that's on the aircraft, but it can be quite long. It can be like several pages. Mm. See, it's not like you get a chance to memorize it. No. And uh, he may be confused because when they say, you've got hazardous material on board, he goes, well, yeah, I know. I've got like five pink sheets here full of all the hazardous material yeah. I'm, I'm carrying. What are you referring to? What's the problem with mm. it? Because uh, what they really did need to say was there's a bomb threat on your aircraft because right. you then immediately start a, a different set of procedures to to yeah. that you would uh, take if you were worried about just hazmat in the cargo. Yeah. So um, there we go. Before that, the Emirates pilots seemed unaware of the situation's gravity. Well, I'm not surprised. No. There was a breakdown in communications here. Around two minutes into the exchange, the Emirates pilot allow, uh, sorry, agrees to allow a Finnair Embraer to land ahead of him, uh, which is very rare. Emirates giving way to... <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. But of course, uh, when he realizes that as soon as his wheels hit the ground, they're going to close the airport, then yeah, you, you let your mates in. Right. Uh, so that uh, he wouldn't be have to divert because that would probably be the situation. Uh, with the pilot thinking this is about hazardous material, he pushes back. And that doesn't mean he pushes away from the terminal. That means he asks for more information. Who mm. broke this stuff? Um, when the bomb threat is finally relayed, he said, priority is to get on the ground now. We'll deal with it once we're on the ground. And quite right. He's got a big, long checklist to go through. Um, uh, and if you're halfway th- across the Atlantic and you get a, a bomb warning, then you've got time to deal with it. But if you're on right next to an airport, you just really want to get on the ground right. and evacuate the aircraft. Okay. Um, when the Emirates plane is uh, cleared to land, ATC asks how many souls. Well, yeah, that's fair enough. And how much fuel? That's pretty standard. 235 souls and 8 tons of fuel. He replied, uh, and EK-177 landed safely and taxied to a remote part of the airport where emergency services attended, and that is perfectly normal. You want to go somewhere where if it goes bang, it doesn't destroy other aircraft or endanger other people. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, UK quite often it's Stansted. Um, because that's been nominated mm. as an, an airport no one cares about. So <laughs> that's where they want to park airplanes with bombs on. Right. Of course, uh, you know, if you're flying over Glasgow, mm. you wouldn't go all the way down to Stansted. You'd no. go, well, no one cares about Glasgow. That's <laughs> um, isn't, isn't Prestwick also designated as well? Just go and destroy that. Oh, yeah, there's a Navy base. It used to be anyway at Prestwick. So, you, yeah, you park probably in the Navy base. That would be good. <laughs> right. I'd love that. Um, yeah, I was actually going to ask that, Nick. Is that an option to land at military airports that may be more equipped with, uh, with either I, bomb disposal or something like that? Most uh, military airports in the UK don't handle big aircraft very often. Uh, so you're probably not going to get a very good service. And quite honestly, uh, the civil procedures probably slicker at most civil airports uh not you know denigrating uh, the military but uh, and they do deal with of course bombs all the time they stick them on airplanes <laughs> regularly <laughs> but um no a, a bomb threat requires a, a specific set of procedures and i don't know if the military are too well clued up on that mm. um so the uh, emirates aircraft landed uh safely uh, and it says here the threat to uh, EK-177 is not an isolated incident involving Warsaw Chopin. On uh, March 20th, the, aircraft, the airport was closed after receiving a bomb threat to a Wizz Air flight from somewhere in Georgia to Warsaw. Incoming flights were diverted to Katowice uh, Airport, and the alarm turned out to be false. Uh, and Aviation 24BE report said that on April the 20th, Wizz Air Flight W... Someone doesn't like Wizz Air, do they? W61515 from uh, Chopin to Norway's Oslo, uh, Sandefjord, uh, diverted to Gdansk Airport, where it made a, an emergency landing. The pilots of the A321, uh, Hotel Alpha, Lima X-ray Papa, are advised of the bomb threat on board. However, all the passengers and crew were safely evacuated. Gdansk Airport was temporarily closed after the emergency landing. Uh, there's a fourth incident. Mm. So l- let's just say there have been enough, mm. uh, plenty of incidents. 
Um, the th these threats to aircraft arriving or departing Warsaw appear to be a targeted attack, which is perhaps suggesting that uh, these aren't real threats. Mm -hmm. um, you can get threats to an aircraft various ways, uh, and I've had them various ways. Uh, you can get someone phoning the airport or phoning the airline saying, I put a bomb on your aircraft. And uh, if you've got a good airline, almost everyone on the airline uh, has been trained to receive these. Uh, so, you know, you people can phone almost any number in the airline and they'll probably get a sensible person uh, taking down the details. Uh, and they will the airline will look at the information that's been passed and make a decision on the threat that this uh, warning uh, gives. Because not all warnings, in fact, the vast majority of warnings are um, they're, they're spurious. They're mm. uh, false warnings. Uh, in, so and the airline has to make an assessment. And they've got trained bomb assessors or, or threat assessors uh, who look at the situation and decide whether it's credible or not. And if it's credible, then uh, they usually uh, give the captain the word and he will divert and get the airplane on the ground. Uh, so, or if he's about to depart, he won't depart. So, when I mean, when I was reading the, this story here, I'm not sure if it was whether it was the Emirates one or whether it was one of the other um, reports and stuff, or whether it in fact involved all of them. But the, the method at which the threat was received uh, was through a contact form uh, on the on one, on the one of the airport's websites. Um, was certainly how one of the threats came in. Um, which uh, interesting, I hadn't heard of that, but of course. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense. It's like a bit like sending an email, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, yeah. So yeah, that would that would kind of work. Um, I've received a handwritten one on my aircraft in flight, and I've also uh, had one made by a telephone call against an aircraft I was about to take off and fly away with. Uh, so you deal with those differently, whether you're on the ground or whether you're in the air, uh, and. Um, in both cases, it was determined that they were green, so they were considered not a credible threat. Right. Um, but they do uh, cause a lot of alarm uh, and delays. And in one case, it was because some bloke wanted to get on the flight and thought if he made a bomb threat, <laughs> that would the flight help. would be right. delayed and he'd have time to get on. <laughs> okay. Of course, what he ended up with was big going to court. Yes, I can imagine. soon worked out who it was. So, so I mean, if you, um, if you get something like this that, that should uh, happen, for example, like, in fact, I, I'd like to ask this to, to everyone that's, uh, that's here. Um, I mean, in, in your case, Nick, I mean, what... You know, you've you've actually had first-hand experience of this. What what goes through your head at that moment when you when you receive that message? I mean, I mean, do you look at it? I mean, is your gut reaction almost to assume that it isn't credible? Um, I mean, I, no, no, you, no, no. Your your gut action is we've got a situation we need to deal with here, so right. we'll pull out all the stops, and we're gonna we've got a bomb threat checklist to go through. Yeah. We're going to look at that and it usually requires breaking open because the 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 actual procedures are you know confidential right. so we don't uh, we don't let it 
hang around. We yeah. don't. Uh, okay. there, there are procedures which are in our QRH, but how to deal with it, with it if we find a bomb on board? Mm. Uh, you know, if we decide to move it, where to put it, where it will cause the least amount of damage to the aircraft. Uh, and um, but the 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 airline's security procedures are in a sealed uh, envelope, and you have to break that open and uh, run through them. Uh, and uh, they're, they're usually pretty sensible. Uh, they're the sort of things that any experienced pilot would probably think of doing. Uh, but they involve, um, you know, ways of handling the aircraft that will possibly prevent a, a real device from going off. Right. Okay. Um, now, Andy, I mean, presumably, uh, obviously, well, all airlines will have procedures in, in place yeah. for, for such things. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I suppose the first question is, is it, have, have you had this, had first-hand experience of this? Not first-hand, no. And like Nick said, um, there could have been any numerous bomb threats to aircraft that I've been in command of. And as it's gone through the system, they've put it down as not applicable green and i'd never find out about it because right. we only find out when it goes to red and then they'll get in touch okay um but no i haven't and being a short haul pilot as well i've got the bonus of i have an abundance of airfields around me most of the time hmm. so i can get it on the ground pretty quick if that message ever comes through because there's two things really to worry about is this a pressure sensor bomb well it hasn't gone off yet so don't climb any higher and secondly is it a timer and i've got plenty of time to get it on the ground mm. pretty sharpish but not plenty of time enough airfields to put it on the ground in a short uh, space of time we yeah, have never had any first-hand experience but it is something that we run through in the simulators from time to time i mean i, I suppose and, it's, again it's something that goes through your mind i'm sure is like sort of yeah it's a, it's a difficult one isn't it i can't i, I, I can't, I, can't I, I don't have the experience that like that you guys have i mean i to me, it just sounds like an absolutely horrendous thing to have to try and deal with. I'm kind of in the middle between with, between these two guys. We, you know, not not flying for a major airline um, on the corporate side of the house. Our company doesn't have specific procedures, but the National Air Transportation Association, um, which does our on the corporate side, we're all certified as uh, in-flight security coordinators as well as ground security coordinators. And in that, we go through some of the same training that the, that the airline guys go through as far as threat levels and how to respond to some threats. But like Andy is saying, we, on the corporate side, we have almost complete free reign to get that airplane on the ground wherever. Um, short strips. I mean, I, I can, you know, I don't even have a, to coordinate with a company. I just have to let ATC know where I'm going and uh, and get it on the ground. So I think... I think all three of us would probably treat it like anything else that's an in-flight emergency. And it's just, hey, you know, just do what, what you've been trained to do and handle it like, like any other abnormal situation that comes up. There's an interesting uh, question from Dirk in the uh, chat room uh, who asked uh, if uh, we would tell the passengers uh, if we'd had it. And that depends entirely on the situation. And you're a bit, to a certain extent, with our PAs, they're, they're all... Um, pre-written for us so that uh, obviously you adjust them for your situation but um, in some cases you would in some cases you wouldn't necessarily um, so it depends entirely uh, and I can't really say much uh, more than that um, it, um, yeah uh, I, I, both cases uh, it, we didn't have a device on board 
um, although we have had devices or items on board that have been assessed as possibly being a threat to the aircraft. And the classic is a mobile phone left in a, a pocket. You know very mm. well you can turn a mobile phone into a An incendiary bomb. device Anything in no time. Anything can be turned yes. into a bomb, yeah. quite honestly. Yeah. yeah, so if someone finds a mobile phone then, um, you know, you you go you almost sigh because there's not usually one every flight's left on board. Mm. And if uh, the security people don't realize and the searchers don't find it, um, then you uh, your new crew comes on, you get airborne, and then someone delving around in the seat pocket comes up with a phone and says, oh, yeah, I found this phone here. Uh, and the, the worst time was when one of the cabin crew girls sauntered into the flight deck in the days before we used to have the locked door and said, um, yeah, passengers found this phone. <laughs> oh, no. And if you've got a suspicious object on board, the last place you take it to is the flight, is the flight deck. deck. Yes, it's not, a, not an ideal location to take such an item. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> no we, we all kind of cringed and yeah. died out, yeah. out the windows. But no, I mean, yeah, we're at no. 35,000 feet, yeah. so that wouldn't have been Not, not a good idea. Anyway, a very, very interesting subject. Thank you for your for your comments on it. We'll move on to the next story now. And uh, as always, story two is a, a Ryanair story. Uh, Sky News uh, is where this one comes from. And the headline is Ryanair signs sustainable fuel deal to cut climate heating condition uh, emissions sorry, from its Amsterdam flights. Budget airline Ryanair hopes to cut pollution from some of its Amsterdam flights by 60% through using sustainable aviation fuel from this month one third of the roughly 1500 flights a year that Ryanair operates from the Amsterdam Schiphol airport here will be provided and powered using 40% sustainable fuel derived from used cooking oil um uh, current regulations restrict the amount of sustainable fuel that can be used in an aircraft to 50% uh, using a waste product like used cooking oil means fossil fuels that would have been used to stay in the ground uh, so it would have been used uh, can stay in the ground but these uh, waste residues are a finite resource environmentalists warn Ryanair Holdings the parent company of Buzz, Louder, Malta Air and Ryanair DAC operates more than 2,400 flights a day from 82 airports and already uses some form of sustainable fuel in flights from France, Sweden and Norway. Ryanair Sustainability Director Thomas Fowler said sustainable fuel is a cornerstone of its strategy to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050, a widely adopted global goal to cut emissions as much as possible and in theory offset only those that cannot be cut. Uh, uh, flying accounts for around 2.5% of all global emissions of carbon dioxide a climate heating greenhouse gas. Most jets are powered by kerosene derived from the fossil fuel petroleum now um, I... (laughs) Uh, this story makes me a little bit nervous because especially when they're essentially using cooking oil now um if i cast my mind back to about i want to say about sort of 20 to 25 years a coach company that i was aware of in this area here in uh sleepy old suffolk uh used to use used um cooking oil um instead of or i think it was a, like a 50 50 a bit like that the with um you know with diesel and um 
to say that it had quite a unique odor um that very essentially wherever these vehicles went it very much sound smelt like a fish and chip shop uh <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm hoping that obviously this is going to be a far higher grade fuel that's going in these amazing aircraft because it also wasn't fantastically good for the um, for the engines. I mean, I, I'm assuming obviously that you know this many years down the line it'll be uh, you know a, a far better um, sort of source of fuel. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about the increase in bird strikes, uh, Matt, because, of course, if your engines smell of fish... Well, quite. ...then uh, you're going to be attracting all these seagulls. It's going to be a nightmare. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that's a... I mean, I hadn't thought of that. That's brilliant. I love that. Sorry. All these sustainable fuel is great, but the key thing is to fly more efficiently in the future as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was reading a thing today. For every 100 kilos of Jet A1 burnt, it produces 350 kilos of CO2, mm. which is massive. Right. And, if you, and yeah. if you can do fly at low-cost indexes, do do a continuous descent approaches, you can save 20% on that. So that's that's where we should be starting, really. This stuff's great, and I think they will have cleaned out all the bits of fish batter and stuff from the cooking oil. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so, anyway. I hope it's been what filtered. What do they call those in Scotland? They used to be able to buy a bag of the little... Oh, well, um, in, oh, the, scraps. in the northeast, you can buy a bag of scraps. Yeah, yeah, yeah a bag, bag of scraps. Bag of scraps. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All the scraps get yeah. stuck we call, in the... We, we call them crispies here. Uh, crispies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's my favourite yeah, part. It, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good starting point, but we do... I think the push now in aviation is flying efficiently because that will make a real big difference. Absolutely. Also, uh, and perhaps I'm being a little bit controversial by saying this, so I apologise in advance, um, but if flying is only represents 2.5% of the overall emission issue, um, perhaps there are bigger fish to fry? Don't oh, see, see what I did there? Yeah. Very good. <laughs> Oh, that's awful. <laughs> I apologise for nothing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but, you but, but, do have to yeah. ask yourself, uh, uh, yeah. how many people concentrate on the cruise liner uh, mm-hmm. industry or the um, cargo, yeah. uh, maritime cargo industry? Yeah. Uh, some of it, which uh, they have appallingly inefficient uh, mm. engines because these ancient old uh, vessels are yeah. plodding around the world. Uh, and uh, they're at least as bad as us. But I guess a lot of other people would say, although it's, it's yet to be uh, really given a, a scientific um, proof, that we're dumping it in the upper atmosphere. So, you know, that may be a different Possibly. problem. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, that's fair. As I say, I just, I just can't help but feel that, you know, the aviation industry – I mean, I know, I know everybody's got to do their bit. I, I do get that. But I do feel that, that, you know, the aviation industry is getting, you know, a bit of a rough ride, if you like, when – Oh, we do. We're, we're, yeah. we're oh, we a always good get whipping it in horse. Yeah. But uh, Andy's quite right. I mean, the advances that we've made uh, in the technology of both the engines and fuel efficiency and the way we conduct the flights mm. has been incredible and we're really motivated uh, from right from the, the pilots through the air traffic controllers back to the manufacturers to um, you know to find ways of cutting it down to an absolute minimum we understand that we've got a finite resource but yeah, we absolutely. want the industry to keep going until we can 
develop something that can replace carbon fuels absolutely uh, and we'll move on to the next story if we may andy uh we're sort of sticking yeah. with the same subject really here and it's uh, looking at a possible alternative um or, or or a potential solution perhaps yeah so this comes from uh, a website that i really love gov.uk <laughs> Um, This is plans running on batteries and hydrogen to become a reality under a new group of aviation experts. A new group of aviation experts across industry and government will work together to make zero emission flight a reality. Transport Secretary Grant Shapps and Business Secretary Kwasi Karteng have today, this was on the 20th, set out a new group of aviation experts across industry and government who will work together to make zero emissions flight a reality. Well, that's just saying the same thing. Uh, (laughs) As world leaders in aviation decarbonise, the new zero emission flight ZEF delivery group will further Britain's role in the global effort to end flight emissions. Launched at the fifth meeting of the Jet Zero Council, the new steering group will help position the UK at the forefront of the global shift to green aviation by supporting the development of zero emission aircraft and airport infrastructure. It will also look at how the law needs to adapt so that sustainable flying can truly become a reality. The new group will sit under the Jet Zero Council, which is an advisory forum with experts from across the industry. There's a lot of experts involved in this and will focus specifically on the technology, infrastructure and regulation needed to make zero emission flight a reality. Speaking at the fifth Jet Zero Council meeting today, the Transport Secretary Grant Shapp said, From the first jet engine created here in the UK, Britain is truly a world leader in flying. Now we're determined to revolutionise flying and we want to see everyone have the opportunity to travel guilt-free. We're determined to bring forward the flight technology of the future and through our new Zero Emissions Flight Delivery Group, we will help create thousands of jobs around the country and take another step towards Zero Emissions Flights. The new group will be led by aviation expert Rachel Gardner-Poole, who joined with over 20 years of experience in military and commercial aviation, both in the public and private sector. Currently the Chief Operating Officer for the Connected Places Catapult, Rachel has previously worked at the Civil Aviation Authority, the UK Space Agency and IBM. Under Rachel's leadership, the ZEF Delivery Group will build on the progress made through the Aerospace Technologies Institute's Fly Zero Project and the Department for Transport Zero Emissions Flight Infrastructure Project. Zero Emissions Flight Delivery Group Chair Rachel Gardner-Poole said, It's a great privilege to be asked to be the chair of the ZEF Delivery Group, and I'm committed to the critical work ahead to make zero emissions in aviation a reality. I am passionate about using innovative technology and to create a positive impact on our planet and look forward to collectively addressing the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead of us. Uh, The government is investing in aerospace R&D through the ATI programme and £685 million will be provided over the next three years, which was announced in March by the Business Secretary. Uh, In addition, the government is providing £125 million, uh, matched by further 100... Well, included with another £175 from industry of support for innovate uk's future flight challenge and the challenge will be shortly announcing projects successful in its third third round of funding competition including those advancing electrical flight technologies that will support the operation of sub-regional aircraft and the uk in reaching its net zero target so essentially this story is we've set up a bunch of experts to talk about it (laughs) yeah great Uh, that'll help sub-regional I have no idea. No, no, I don't know what sub-regional aircraft are, but they're 
I'm supposing uh, an aircraft that can't even get out of its own region. I mean, yeah. I, unless they mean, I mean, is, is that a, an alternative word that they're using for what I call like domestic? Or is it even smaller than an ATR and dash it? Some yeah, smaller than I, that. Well, uh, as we've seen from, from most projects that are producing uh, battery driven aircraft, uh, their endurance means they can't really go very far. Yeah. Mm. So, that, you know, they, they wouldn't get out of your county, most of them. I mean, so I think that might be what they're referring to. I mean, one of the, one of the fascinating things about the, the, t- uh, the talk that Nick, um, uh, Neil, uh, Neil, Cluffley. Sorry, Neil Cluffley gave at, uh, at the, um, the 400th was actually that whole concept of it, um, like the ability of building essentially an electric aircraft, but that you could change the, the, the power unit, if you see what I mean, as the technology, um, you know, progresses and gets better. So you, you could essentially run it with a small generator essentially until the technology improves and gets the, you know, the, the, you know, the battery power or the battery yeah, in, in general improve. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about when when uh, Andy was reading this was well this is just another uh, government regulatory agency that Neil Cluffley has to go through now yeah true. and probably all the work that he's done with the uh, legacy agency now he has to do with this agency um, but yeah you're exactly right Matt that you know they're the folks over at Faraday are getting around the battery problem by just using an APU yeah using an APU to generate electrical power at uh, you know a, a tenth of what it would normally cost you um, to do it yeah yeah you know in the emissions oh, yeah. and the APU, you're looking at yeah. 120 kilos an hour something like that yeah yeah, yeah exactly not much at and all that's what, is it no. yep that's it indeed okay. i think this this industry is still this part of the industry is still very young and i think we're going to see a lot of developments mm. in the coming years and hopefully months I mean, you could say the same about electric cars, couldn't you? I mean, you, you yeah. think really, I mean, uh, they've got the range to around about 300 miles now before it, you know, before it needs a full charge and that, you know, it's starting to get to uh, a range now where they are useful. If you saw, I mean, I mean, obviously some some of the earlier ones where they'll only do sort of 150 miles. Or, I mean, I, I remember somebody talking to somebody who did have one who used to refer to something known as uh, range anxiety. Because uh, <laughs> it's a bit like when you're driving your car. And I mean, that's certainly if you're flying an aeroplane, the last thing you want to be worrying about is how much power you've got left. <laughs> Just keep climbing higher, then glide the rest of the way. Right. OK. <laughs> that's always an option. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll move on. And uh, Armando, you've got an interesting story that had uh, took place in, I think this is Washington, wasn't it? Yeah, this was nice and embarrassing for U.S. <laughs> aviation and the FAA uh, and everybody involved. But uh, this particular story came from the drive.com. This was this made its way over the whole aviation channels on social media and everything. But the U.S. Capitol Police briefly ordered an evacuation of the Capitol building. Uh, various associated office building, the U.S. Library of Congress, the U.S. Botanic Garden. Uh, this what? week, over they, they evacuated the Botanic Gardens. Oh no! Un- unbelievable, isn't it? Of all the federal buildings in Washington D.C., the Botanic Garden said we may be a possible target. Right. Uh, very serious. <laughs> right. Right. Continuing on. So uh, this was done because there was an aircraft that uh, quote posed a probable threat, and um, there are. Uh, unconfirmed reports that some kind of miscommunication happened that as you can see on your screen there it was eventually found that it was the u.s army twin otter aircraft carrying the members of the golden knights parachute team dropping into a baseball game at the washington nationals baseball park 
Uh, this obviously triggered the alert. There is there is a parachutist falling from the sky. <laughs> when has a twatter ever had any form of threat to it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, if um, you're standing underneath it, you might yeah. be careful. <laughs> <laughs> this apparently happened around 6.30 p.m. The U.S. Capitol Police issued a statement that the Capitol was being evacuated out of an overabundance of caution that evening and that, uh, what, 18 minutes later, they deemed there was no actual threat. Now, if anybody's been to Washington, D.C., it's like 25 square miles. It's like five miles by five miles. It's the tiniest. So there must have been a massive breakdown in communication because an an aircraft or a twin otter orbiting over a baseball park is going to cover most of Washington, D.C. And so, I don't know, th- this was all over the Flight Radar 24 sites this was, and, and associated ADSB sites. People were tracking this aircraft. I think most aviation enthusiasts understood that, oh, yeah, this is the U.S. Army Golden Knights who didn't understand it was the U.S. Capitol Police. <laughs> um, I mean, this was coordinated with the FAA. Whatever happened, it just didn't get get to the uh you know the capital of the united states so yeah there you go a bit it's of miscommunication uh, i think <laughs> yeah you know i'd love to see the golden rain nighting out of that twatter I, i'm sorry i mean the golden nights <laughs> raining out so. of that twatter <laughs> that, would been, that would have been quite a sight well, at, there we go. at night there go. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that up. There, go, there goes the from PG the, rating. That's all I can say to from that. From the catacombs of Nick Anderson's mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, on the subject of Nick, you have our next story, and uh, we're we're off to Manchester initially. Uh, so it appears. I somewhere I rarely go. Although the uh, <laughs> the Manchester Aviation uh, Society want me up there for another talk, more fool them. Um, we so, I go dearly, Nick. <laughs> and to you. Oh, wow. Yes. How yeah. wonderful yeah. for you. Um, <laughs> so, so, so this <laughs> this is from UK Aviation News. Uh, direct Manchester to Toronto service set to resume. Wow. This fantastic story. Who got hold of this one? Me. Be oh, nice. Or I'm, not, look, I'm not used to doing the show notes, I'm afraid. So, you're, you're, <laughs> so I'm literally so, I'm finding stories that I think, oh, that looks interesting to me. Uh, <laughs> So good, good Mainly for Because to, Toronto is one of the place, few places I wanted to go. I don't know why I choose to go from Manchester, but anyway, there we go. Fair, yeah, yeah okay, I can understand that. I, I apologise. Anyway, so it will be the restarting its direct Manchester Toronto service from the 1st of June. Flight will operate five times a week, leaving Manchester Airport at 12.15 and arriving Toronto 14.55 local time. So it only takes like... Uh, nearly three hours to get there that's pretty clever it'll be operated by the mighty airbus a330 of which i think that's one behind me or it might be a 340 i can never tell uh, Stephen gerard air canada's general manager of sales uk and ireland described the move as exciting times our non-stop flight well there's not many places to stop actually between manchester and toronto but i suppose you could pop into iceland if you wanted anyway they will provide their customers in the northwest of england with a direct link to canada and beyond we look forward to welcoming our 
customers back on board. The airport's interim manager, because they fired the last one, said <laughs> the service to Toronto is fantastic news for companies large and small across the north who do business with Canada and also for tourism and those visiting friends and family. It's also great to see the carrier return with its mainland service Sorry, mainline service offering high quality product with business and premium economy classes. Passengers using the service will be able to connect to Air Canada's enormous network across Canada. There's only like three places to go in Canada anyway. Uh, oh, and to another 46 US airports. Uh, more news from Manchester. The Manchester airport is uh, to fully reopen Terminal 3. Uh, from today so if you do get a ticket that says terminal three you can believe them now uh, they're <laughs> set to fully reopen it uh, to cope with the growing demand for air travel which they've suddenly discovered <laughs> 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 following uh, uh, as the effects of cr the uh, pandemic ease the terminal which uh, was closed at the beginning of the pandemic when air travel fell off a cliff, along with all the lemmings, has been partly open since the 27th of March. But from Friday, passengers flying uh, with Urigni, 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 what's that one called, uh, Andy? Orini. Orini. Why has it got a G in it? Oh, oh, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, British Airways, Eastern Airways, Iberia Express, Logan Air. God, they're still going. <laughs> Ryanair and Vueling should check in in Terminal 3. Range of outlets in the terminal would be available uh, uh, from the 22nd. Travel X Cafe Nero Boots costed uh, duty free. This is fantastic. I'm so glad you invited me on tonight, uh, Matt. <laughs> duty WH Smith, duty free, lion and antelope. Pork and Pickle KFC, Nook and uh, Kiosco. Anyway, although COVID restrictions are being eased, the airport uh, is reminding passengers that they're likely to face many hours of queues. I'm sorry, uh, to still check the advice <laughs> for the country they're traveling to in order to uh, um, make sure they have the right jabs and forms and checks mm. and tests and stuff passengers hey. with specific queries about their flight should contact the airline directly i think what we've just discovered is after a, a lengthy and honorable career in aviation and as an airline captain nick is fully qualified to be the guy that makes the announcements <laughs> in the airport like <laughs> if, for your shopping convenience we have the duty free the lion and antelope and the pork and pickle absolutely just absolutely. don't get them to announce all rainy flights otherwise no, people no, won't no, get on them they, they don't pay me enough to do that <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy about this news because it means all of these airlines are getting out of my terminal right going back to where they belong right especially Oregony. Right. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's all right if you're not trying to pronounce uh, it. I seriously, suppose. where does that airline come from? Uh, the what Channel language Islands. is that? It's the Channel Islands. They speak a different language in the Channel Islands? Good I Lord. don't know if it's a mix with French and English and all that. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> oh, well, I'll probably get a rude letter from someone now who lives no. in the Channel Islands. No, all good. Uh, <laughs> if it's not in the chat room, I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're going to move on then. Andy, you're next uh, with the BBC on this one. And, uh, yeah, we're talking, uh, we're, we're talking Emirates again here. 
Yes, yeah, so as you said, this is from the BBC, and Emirates have said they will keep flying to Russia unless its owner stops it. Emirates boss say the airline will keep flying to Russia unless its owner, the Dubai government, tells it not to. If we're told to stop, we will stop. Unless we are told otherwise, we will continue. So Tim Clark told the BBC. Most major international airlines pulled out of Russia amid sweeping sanctions imposed by Western countries since the war began in Ukraine. But Emirates is one of the few carriers that is still operating flights to Moscow and St. Petersburg. When asked if the airline would reconsider its position, Emirates President Sir Tim said that it was not his call, but a decision that the UAE government would take. As well as carrying passengers, the airline also transport cargo, including humanitarian goods, food and medical supplies, which are not on the sanctions list. Sir Tim added that it was important to recognise the Russian population may not be part of the war in Ukraine and that the diplomatic corps of other countries who have missions in Moscow need to be able to function by moving in and out of the country. He said, we're catering to people who are on the periphery of the main issues here, and that is probably the way the UAE government looks at it. United Arab, ugh, the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia have rejected calls from Western governments to impose sanctions on Russia. Abu Dhabi has also not severed economic ties with Moscow. It was one of only three countries, along with China and India, to abstain in the United Nations Security Council vote in February to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It also abstained in the General Assembly vote on the 7th of April to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council. Since the outbreak of the war, Moscow has faced a barrage of unprecedented sanctions, including bans on Russian aircraft using airspace and airports in the US, the EU, the UK and Canada. International flights by Russian airlines have been severely curtailed due to the sanctions. National carrier Aeroflot has suspended all international flights except for its service to the Belarusian capital Minsk due to the sanctions. I wonder how many Minsk flights they're putting on a day. <laughs> Got all these 15, 20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, the main reason for me um, including this story is actually, I, I, I don't know why, but I, I sort of, I don't know. It took me a little bit by surprise, if you like, that I, you know, obviously, I, I guess it's it's my fault here, really, perhaps perhaps not having having not re- received all the information, if you like, about what's going on. I, I, I was just genuinely quite surprised to discover that, that that some flights were were still going in in and out, if you like, outside of internally, if if that makes sense. Well, um, not all of the world is against Russia. No, no, that's fair. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, we'll probably move on uh, before. <laughs> before i end up in trouble anyway uh, it's, <laughs> if we uh armando uh we're off to uh, uh the the next source is uh, uh where everybody goes for their aviation uh news obviously which is the daily mirror uh <laughs> oh yeah even at at the uh checkout the checkout here at the grocery stores in the u.s we get the daily mirror oh do you know oh, i it's, am, I it's am wor- sorry <laughs> <laughs> it, it is where I go for all of my aviation news. But, of course, um, absolutely. Especially military. They're very good at that. <laughs> yeah, EasyJet. I mean, this is an EasyJet story. Thanks for that. Uh, they apparently suffered an 11-hour nightmare after their flight returned straight to the UK. Uh, some holiday makers, desperate for some sun, flew all the way to Madeira from Bristol, only to be brought straight back again. The EasyJet flight took off from the West Country City on Monday and headed to the Portuguese archipelago. Thank you for adding that, which is then <laughs> it, it then circled twice before stopping for fuel at another airport. 
Not a single passenger was allowed to get off that airplane before it was flown back to the UK, according to the Bristol Post. Um, so where apparently when they arrived back in Bristol, after this 11-hour flight that got them nowhere, the passengers described a chaotic scene as everyone was left waiting for almost three hours before they were told what would happen next. Those on board the flight ended up being bused to Gatwick and checked into a hotel as the clock neared midnight. The passengers were told that they had to get themselves to the check-in at 5 a.m. the following morning and make a second attempt at starting their holiday. EasyJet, of course, apologized for the huge delay and said that high winds at the airport meant that the flight was canceled while the passengers were still on it. That's interesting. Uh, Those on board have now, as of the writing of this, arrived at Cristiano Ronaldo uh, Airport on the Madeira Island around 24 hours later than originally planned. Some of uh, some of the passengers said that the best thing about the experience was that the, the passengers developed a great camaraderie in the face of a deteriorating situation. They told us that the wind speed at Funchal was uh, too high to land, but then we stacked up in a queue twice and other planes made it down according to one passenger so Ooh, i mean i wonder yeah yeah go ahead yeah well i was i mean we don't really need to sort of cover too much more on that really my interest in this story uh, especially with the the people that were here is is that a, a common thing where an airport's essentially you know once you've been cleared to take off the the arriving airport can still be closed when you're you're mid mid route yes it happened to me yeah. this weekend oh really um yeah, I was flying down to Dubrovnik. Airborne, the wind in Dubrovnik was well outside of crosswind limits. So I keyed up the company. I said, look, we might not get in. Here's the plan. I'll go to Split. And Split was windy. Right. But it was nearly down the strip. So we went down to Dubrovnik. I took a couple of extra tons of fuel, sat in the hold mm. for 40 minutes as the weather got worse and worse and worse. <laughs> I thought, well, I'm not going to get in here. And right. I was... I kept the passengers up to date the whole way. I told them once we were on our way that the winds changed, we might not get in. Um, then we flew to Split, which was uh, sporty, shall we say. Um, <laughs> it took quite a bit of work to get that in there. Then we got to Split, and the weather in Dubrovnik was not planned to change at all for the next 24 hours. So what they actually did was took the passengers off in Split, bust them the six hours to Dubrovnik, oh my gosh. put us in a hotel, then in the morning bus the passengers from Dubrovnik up to split and then we took them home so it does happen it's just the unfortunate uh, environment of aviation now Madeira is particularly finicky when it comes to winds because the wind in each segment so it's not just one wind that you're looking at you're looking at a wind off one end of the runway off the other down a valley all of those have to be within limits and if they're not within the specific limits you cannot attempt a landing at all and even if it was inside some of those limits, as says here that oh, other aircraft made it in, mm. well, they might have got in in a very small window where the wind was bang on where it needed to be. And then when these guys came in to have a go, it was out of limits again. So unfortunately, that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, this is this is a, a thing. And I, I presume, again, similar sort of problem in the States, Armando, is it where, um, you know, they're... I mean, I mean, it's tornado season, isn't it? Especially in Texas and around that sort of area at the moment. I mean, it must be a, a very common issue. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, th- I think uh, you know I, what Andy said is is pretty. It transfers across us, the ocean, at least for the airlines. Um, I'll all, always offer up a, a little bit different viewpoint from the corporate side of the house. 
Um, we have some different rules. So we have, we can kind of pick and choose um, depending on if we're carrying passengers, if we're not carrying passengers, sometimes we're, we're flying under here in the U.S. Part 91, you know, just an empty, it's just a crew on board. Um, un, unless it's a revenue generating flight, which is a part 135 flight, but it could also be just an owner, which is a part 91 flight. And each of those things has different weather minimums, different restrictions, different takeoff and arrival um, requirements, um, as well as our aircraft are not as well equipped as, as these guys aircraft, right? So we don't have Autoland um, in the best equipped aircraft that at least I fly on the corporate side of the house. The best thing we can do is a cat two approach and, so when you're talking about weather minimums changing or, or weather changing and having a divert plan, um, we're, we're just a, a little bit more flexible, I guess, and in, in kind of the rules that you can pick and choose to take off or not take off to go into an airport. But then our passengers as corporate or private passengers are generally pretty flexible and understanding. If you say, hey, we're going to go land, for example, winds. I'm going to go land at an airport that's 10 miles away. Uh, it's going to take us an extra 45 minutes to get you a taxi, but we'll get you there. I only have to deal at the most with 14 people, right? Mm. I, unlike, unlike Nick and Andy, I don't have 100, 200, and 300 people to worry about. My, my passengers are all going to be um, pretty flexible and understanding as, as far as diverts and delays and things like that. Plus, they're, they're usually used to it. So, I mean, Nick, from a, a um, sort of long haul perspective um, here, I mean, I, I know, uh, for example, flights always have far more fuel on board uh, than they need. Um, but, but if obviously, if you're, if for example, for whatever reason you're flying into the states, for example, and you can't land because, um, you know, because of high winds or, or whatever, I mean. Uh, is there i mean i know there's a lot of airfields in in um the us obviously but obviously a bit like here i guess certain ones can't take um you know there's a limit to the size of the aircraft that some of the the smaller airfields for example can take i mean i, I know a large part of this is to do with planning um but it, it yeah it, it's basically all to do with planning uh matt and um to be truthful um in the second half of my career we very rarely carried any spare fuel you know you, really? you don't you just can't afford to carry fuel around in just because uh, you've got to have a good reason in and wind forecast is a good reason um and the fact is that um you know it depends on the type of weather but if 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 you know the uk is classic most runways point east west so when you get a north south wind there's an awful lot of airfields that will be taken out by that because, you know, you can't divert if the wind's going to be just as much as a problem mm. on another airfield. You've got to find an airfield that is going to have an interwind runway, can take your aircraft, and all that happens at the planning stage, bearing in mind that that one airport, when it comes to reality, might be chocker full of people who've diverted to it. So you go, all right, we can't get into Heathrow, let's turn up and divert to blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they go, well, we can't take you. And you, mm. then, <laughs> yeah. then you start having to work for your living. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you, a good captain, uh, you know, as soon as you um, look at the conditions that are likely to be in the area where you're going to mm. land, you start planning ahead and thinking about where you might go, you know, and um, putting fuel on if you think it's necessary. Yeah. 
but we don't carry it as a matter of course. And is that no. that decision predominantly up? I mean, I mean, obviously the company would rather you be as light as possible, but uh, the, if you make the decision that you need more fuel, there's not there's, there's no fight on your hands. If you see what I mean? Yeah, twenty five years uh, of putting fuel on when I needed, and sometimes taking cargo off mm. to get fuel on, or even leaving passengers behind to get fuel on. Uh, I never got any pushback from the company right. uh, yeah that's sim you know. sim for me nick never yeah <clears throat> and right. just to answer uh neil lamorne's question porto santo is an option which is next door but it only has around five parking spaces for an a320 size aircraft um so you can get in there and get some fuel but they won't let you stay so then you've got to go somewhere else right okay <laughs> but i suppose at least you could take fuel on board if you needed to i guess that's the yeah i mean you could yeah. tenerife is off often uh, alternate for down there mm. and it doesn't say where they actually went to top back up with fuel it was probably on the mainland somewhere but again it all depends on the crew as well what hours they've got yeah. what's the best yeah. option for the company for the aircraft to be in the right place mm. i know it's a real pain for the passengers but there's all these other things in the background as mm. well indeed Indeed. Okay. Uh, thanks uh, for your comments on that. Now we have to say goodbye to Armando. Unfortunately, he's got to step off and go and, do, and go and do some Hi actual, f- <laughs> go and do some actual flying. It was well, so nice being fun. on a show when there were no Americans. But, uh, <laughs> how many joking? Well, Lovely to see you, Armando. Here you go. You get that back now, Nick. So actually, <laughs> Just uh, now. yeah, I would much rather. Uh, as much as I love doing the podcast, I would love to sit around with the three of you guys and around a, a, a table at a pub and tell war stories. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, let's Amen. do it sometime. Amen to that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, All right. For, thanks for joining us, Armando. Safe flight. And uh, we'll thanks, see guys. you very soon. Bye. Take care. All right. We'll see you. Bye. Okay, we'll move on to the next story now, and it's a, a concept, I think, is the best way to describe this. Uh, Airbus are, are trying out some new wings, Nick. This is fascinating, actually. I I had heard of some tricks that are being mm. tried by various uh, companies, and Airbus seems to be one of the ones that are putting a lot of effort in this. So this is from AerospaceTestingInternational.com, and uh, is talking about uh, Aeros- uh, Airbus completing wind tunnel tests of Albatross-inspired wings. So they've completed the testing uh, of its extra performance wing demonstrator which features a new design inspired by bird wings to improve efficiency and reduce co2 emissions from flight um the uh I, i'm assuming it's pronounced e extra as opposed to just extra i think so performance, isn't it? yeah yeah uh performance wing project was launched last september takes inspiration from nature to improve wing aerodynamics you know you you think there's nothing new in aviation all of a sudden they come up with something like this Absolutely. Uh, and performance that's intended to be compatible with any future aircraft configuration and propulsion system tips of the uh, extra performance wing um, use semi aerolastic hinges to reduce drag and overall wing weight whilst combating the effects of turbulence and wing gusts and uh, it doesn't quite explain how it looks, but you just have to imagine a phantom or a buccaneer with folding wings. Mm. Well, these wings on this uh, Airbus wing uh, flap around as if you just disconnected them. They were, they were just hinging up and down. Very impressive. Uh, Oliver Family, the head of uh, Extra Performance Wing UK for Airbus, said the scale demonstrator and a very pretty little airplane uh, model it is integrate and fly 
breakthrough wing technologies using a remote-controlled Cessna Citation 7 business jet platform in representative flight conditions. And they also glue these wings on the side of a van and drive it up and down the road. (laughs) (laughs) I noted the uh, partially 3D-printed wind tunnel model expertly built by the aerodynamics team at Airbus Low Speed Wind Tunnel Facility in Bristol is a scaled-down version of the Cessna jet incorporating the lightweight, long-span design of the extra-performance wing that will provide the emissions benefit we're striving for. Initially introduced at a smaller scale through another Airbus project, Albatross 1, which tested semi-aerolastic hinged wings that, like the seabird, unlock during flight when experiencing wing gusts or turbulence. The extra performance wing will also examine onboard technologies like gust sensors, pop-up spoilers and multifunctional trailing edges to enable the active control of the wing. Airbus state-of-the-art low-speed wind tunnel is a fantastic way to validate our concepts before flight tests, said family, uh, and our computational aerodynamics analysis capability is world-class, and the wind tunnel provides another valuable way to measure the performance and capabilities of the aircraft before flight testing. I wish these people would realise that they kind of lose the audience when they just pile all these long words one mm. after the other. But there you go. Technologies we've tested at the Filton wind, the first Filton Bristol uh, wind tunnel, mainly inspired by biomimicry, so copying the birds, will now be rapidly integrated for flight testing. Um, so they... The wind tunnel replicates conditions similar to aircraft takeoff and landing wind speeds, but it's also used by external organization, organizations like F1 cars, etc. Um, it's, so, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? I mean, I was desperately trying to find a video uh, of this. Well, there is one. Of, oh, is there? I've, yeah, I've got one right here. Oh, have you? Oh, okay. All right. Uh, if you just uh, go for Albatross 1. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's at airbus.com and then it's a, a bit address with that. Okay. And anyway, I um I, I saw this and uh, they 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 show the various types of of testing, but basically the end third of the wing seems to be able to fly freely uh, and flap up and down as the aircraft goes. Um, bearing in mind that. Uh, you only need, really need the full span of the wing when you want to try and drag every bit of lift out of the wing, uh, and that's mainly for takeoff and landing. Uh, when you're in the cruise, um, you should have an excess of lift um, because you know you're up there belting along a, a decent speed, and it, the majority of lift comes from the main portion of the wing, the, down towards the wing tips. Uh, the amount of lift tapers off in fact uh, because of the swept wing design of most modern airliners we already wash out the angle that the wing is presented to the relative airflow to uh, prevent tip stalling Um, this takes it one step further and allows the whole end of the wing to hinge upwards when you're in one of these situations they describe like you're in turbulence or you are um I don't know what else did they say in turbulence and uh, you uh, wind gusts was the other mm. thing, Nick. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, the it's, 
a rigid wing will transfer all that force down the um, spar into the fuselage and move the fuselage up and down. If you can stop it doing that by just letting the end of the wings flap up and down, that's pretty good. It also reduces the loads on the wing root so that you extend the life of the uh, the wing and the spar, which is absolutely brilliant. And they say it also helps avoid tip stalling, uh, which is great because it'll probably reduce spanwise flow. Um, and so, you know, it, it looks weird. Uh, I, I mean, the I suppose the triple X, uh, sorry, the triple seven X, which is supposed to have folding wings, um, all they need to do is disconnect the hydraulics that so they've already got it. <laughs> But uh, I don't know uh, whether we see it on an actual airplane. I think the passengers might be a little bit disconcerted by watching a lot of their wings flapping up and down. What do you reckon, Andy? Andy, are you there? Sorry, you got any thoughts, Andy? Andy's died. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, found that it seems to be very still. Oh, but dear. this is he... uh, we're watching the video now. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fat. Yeah, good, good shout on 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 this video. It's it's absolutely yeah. fascinating. The whole, as I say, it's just as I say. So essentially, it's the end that's sort of like kind of folding up, isn't it? So it's sort of yeah, and and it, which is kind of what birds do. Yeah, uh, you need to stop me from taking over the screen. Oh no, you've still got it. Yeah, there. I've still got it. Yeah, sorry, carry on. Yeah. So the the wingtip feathers on the birds, are, when they when they hit a gust or they mm. need to produce a lot of lift, they do tip up at the wingtips, um, rather more smoothly than this. But yeah. uh, it's the same concept because it you know you don't want that that upward force being transmitted all the way down the wing if you can avoid it. If you can just let the tips flip flap up and mm. down, well there you go. As you say, you sort of you think that uh, you think that all innovations have been achieved, and uh, and uh, very much not the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what the uh, maintenance interval on a connection like that is. I, I think yeah. you just ignore it until they fall off, then you stick a new one on. Right. Okay. Good. Lovely. <laughs> so you just take. I mean, is, you take that asymmetric lift for the rest of the flight. Get it back <laughs> on the ground. Yeah. Stick it on the bottom. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, they will obviously have problems uh, with control surfaces mm. because you, you couldn't put ailerons on that wingtip. Um, so you'd have to have the ailerons moved inboard, which reduces mm. their effectiveness. And you're going to have to have, you know, more clever control surfaces. You might even need an all-moving uh, trailing edge to give you uh, a good combination of roll and... Um, uh, lift devices right yeah well it'll be uh, interesting to see where it goes i mean they they've got the wing in the wind tunnel or the whole aircraft they were whizzing a big contraption around and around in circles with the model upside down mm. so don't get confused folks they're not going to fly the airplane upside <laughs> down but it's quite it's quite common yeah. for wind tunnel models to be mounted upside down it's often easier to uh, just uh, ergonomically to do that I, yeah uh, uh, yeah well i suppose so, to, to put all the joints and stuff on stre under stress as well isn't it to sort of make sure that it doesn't snap just because it's going the wrong way and and things like that i'm, I'm very interested in multifunctional trailing edges as they've put on here i think there's a lot of technology that can be built in there and save well, fuel uh, absolutely i i'm i'm really kind of uh surprised that 
the civil sector hasn't followed the military sector, mm. which has had multifunctional services yeah. on their uh, wings for years. Look at the F-18, how old that is. You know, most of them are being scrapped now. Yeah. But that, all the control services on the entire aircraft could move independently at any time to achieve whatever the pilot wanted. And why you haven't got that on a civil airliner, there's absolutely no reason with fly-by-wire you can't do that. Uh, you, you could have the entire trailing edge of the wing helping to roll the aircraft mm. or all moving down as to a certain extent they do anyway with um, trailing ailerons mm. uh, when you put the flaps down the, the ailerons move down a bit as well to help uh, generate lift um, i'd like to see you know a combination of uh, all moving tailplanes that move independently uh, to help provide uh, your and uh, twisting moments um there's so many things that you could do that might improve the ride on the aircraft as well as the efficiency. So, I mean, is it possibly just simple as there's um, you know, the military is more willing to innovate, perhaps, as where in the commercial world, if it's not broken too much, why why bother fixing it? If you see what I mean, I suppose, you know, you could argue that the existing model has worked well for as long as it has. Um, is that reason enough not to sort of, you know, invest heavily in, in these new technologies? Well, you, you just have to remember the pushback against uh, fly-by-wire when Airbus mm. came out with the that A320, true, Matt. Yeah. I mean, there were an awful lot of stuck at stick in the muds mm. there who thought it was the most awful idea. Side sticks, people still go, oh, I'd never fly with a side stick, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, why not? I mean, yeah. that huge, great big control column you've got in yeah. um, a big aircraft uh, that actually just goes to a computer it doesn't yeah. go to no, anywhere else yeah. you're not you're not driving the hydraulics directly through that control exactly yeah, you haven't got you yeah. know 40 yards of steel no, cable, cable to move yeah. anymore <laughs> no so indeed um, you know that's it, true it, but you're right there's an awful lot of inertia that, that needs to yeah. be uh, pushed through Moved. yeah people don't like change <laughs> no indeed the, uh, ci I the civil world don't need to have the most up-to-date top-of-the-range fighter jets either <laughs> That's no, that's very true. That, but yeah. like you said, we're striving for efficiency. Yeah. And if if this technology or similar military technology can improve efficiency, then we definitely need it. Well, I suppose if you're in the air, of course, it means less drag, doesn't it? If you're able to yep. shorten the, you know, you, again, it's that whole making it more efficient using less fuel to do the same amount to, same amount of speed because you've you know you've 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 changed the Absolutely. dynamics literally. Anyway, we could go on about that for ages. That's a fascinating subject, really interesting. Looking forward to developments on that. Uh, we'll go back to uh, airports now. Uh, this is our, in the Telegraph, this particular story. And uh, I think this is uh, the, the government trying to solve a problem that has appeared sort of post-COVID with airport staff. Uh, and they're going to be uh, relaxing the vetting rules uh, to try and ease the travel chaos. Uh, ministers are... Uh, to make legal changes allowing staff to be trained without security clearance now i find this very very worrying but we'll discuss that in a moment airports and airlines will be allowed to relax background uh, counter-terror checks on staff as ministers scramble to prevent months of travel chaos triggered by a shortage of airport workers companies will be permitted to train staff before their security vetting is completed under proposals put forward by the aviation minister robert Qu 
courts. Uh, proposals to streamline background vetting come amid delays to the process that are making it harder for companies to combat a severe labour shortage. Uh, in a leaked letter to the chief executives of airlines, airports and ground handling companies, Mr Courts said that he will bring forward legal changes within weeks that will allow training to take place more quickly. Although they can be trained, staff will not be allowed to work in so-called airside uh, in so-called airside part of an airport with access to planes and runways until security clearance is complete. He blamed legacy EU rules for causing the problem in the first place and said it cannot uh, be dealt with until legislation is changed. Mr Courts said as the law on background checks was retained after the European Union exit, ministers do not have the powers to alleviate as they would do under other categories of aviation security regulation. More than 1,300 flights have been cancelled since the start of the Easter holidays as airports and airlines suffered from severe lack of staff. Surging passenger numbers have led to hours-long queues snaking out of airport terminal buildings and scuffles at security checkpoints. Mr Court said that the government must first seek authority from Parliament to change the law. He and Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, have already laid the groundwork to complete the change in expedited fashion and he intends to bring it before Parliament before the end of April. Uh, so I, mean, I suppose good news in there but is that they're not going to be allowed airside essentially until the uh, checks have been completed. Now uh, my, uh, my, my personal feel on this is uh, and I may be wrong please correct me but I do feel um, that whilst uh, I was furloughed at 80% for I don't know how long and all that kind of thing. I do feel that the aviation sector received very little help in terms of um, sort of, you know, like when, when, when the pandemic sort of first hit uh, and stuff. And I, I do wonder if uh, perhaps if there had been more help to sort of retain staff and things like that, whether perhaps this existing problem or the problem that we have in front of us now w- would not exist. Retain staff and also make it easier to get them back to work would be the big thing. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, they can go through all the training, which is great, and I'm yeah. sure that the, the security-sensitive stuff, they won't get any form of that training until they have passed all the background checks. Mm. And there's absolutely no way you can get airside without... Because normally we carry... Uh, airline employees carry two IDs, their company one and their airport one, and you need at least one of those to get airside and you need both of them to be, you have to be security checked. So you're not getting airside without them. No. So that's, yeah, the, it was hard enough getting your IDs renewed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the, you know, well before the pandemic. Yeah. But of course, uh, not only probably are the uh, ID staff uh, reduced in number and mm, by the true. pandemic and also the fact they've left their jobs, but uh, you know, there is a huge rush of people try, all trying to get IDs and get security clearances, mm. etc. all in very short order. It doesn't work. You've got to plan ahead for these yeah. things, and that's been one of the problems. People have been reluctant to pull the trigger mm. and get staff in place Back ahead in place. of when yeah. you expect them to arrive. It's okay. very easy to shut it all down. It's very difficult to start it all again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. and they were warned, of course, yeah, yeah, by of course. the unions and by people who know. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't seem to make a lot of difference. No, indeed. Um, yeah. 
Okay, well, we'll move on to the last story then in the commercial, if we may. And this one sort of uh, appeared quite late, uh, or quite early doors this morning, actually. Uh, I stumbled across uh, this particular one, and uh, I was very surprised by this. But, uh, uh, Nick, you were sort of saying this is very much uh, sort of almost part of the course, but we'll, we'll go into details in that in a moment. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, from australianaviation.com.au, and this is Qantas crew sleep across seats in front of passengers. And have you got photos for this as well, Mark? Uh, I think I have, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so new images obtained by Australian Aviation show how the cabin crew of a Qantas A330 were made to sleep across seats in the economy cabin alongside passengers with a makeshift blanket overhead to block out the light. The photos, which have been verified, were taken on a long-haul flight from Brisbane to LA and come as the airline faces thousands of customer complaints over long-call wait times and queues at airports. Australian Aviation understands that this issue arose in part due to a mechanical problem that meant the lights in the cabin could not be dimmed at the time, which meant the crew had to place blankets over the seats in order to shut out the light. COVID-related supply issues also meant that the privacy curtain that would normally separate the resting crew from paying passengers on the flight has yet to be delivered. In light of extending the range of its uh, A330 fleet, Qantas has had to redesign the areas designated for its crew to rest and take breaks while mid-flight on all the aircraft that they will utilise with the extended range. Generally, on the Airbus A330, the official crew rest areas are set aside for the four pilots on board, while cabin crew are often assigned designated areas in the passenger cabin to take breaks. While under standard A330 operations, crew can sit in a traditional e- uh, economy seat during their break, under the extended range operations, aviation fatigue management rules dictate that the crew are required to have a lie-flat option during their rest or time on board. As such, crew are now provided with mattresses to place over a bank of four economy seats, allowing them to lie down. Under normal circumstances, a privacy curtain will be installed around these seats. In the meantime, crew will continue to take their breaks across the centre bank of economy seats beside the passengers. And then it goes on to say that this is causing uh, tension between cabin crews and unions and Qantas, Mm. etc. Indeed. Now, um, I mean... I was when I first read this story. I, part of me sort of thought, I, I, I'm not even sure that's it, that's legal. I, I don't know how. Mind you, oh, it's legal. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah. If you don't have a designated crew rest area, uh, and the aircraft is quite capable of providing one, but the airline has to pay for it and have it fitted, right. uh, then you're allowed to take rest in passenger seats, but they have to be curtained off. Uh, so to give you privacy um, and uh, your the quality of your uh, rest um, depends upon the length of time you can augment your flight duty. Mm. So if you get a, a good, nice flatbed seat to sleep on, you, that's the best deal and you can get quite a few hours extra flight duty for that. But if you're in a economy sit-up-and-beg seat then the amount you can extend your flight duty is much reduced because you're not getting obviously good quality uh, rest in order to uh, be able to work for the Mm. entire flight. So what's happened is Qantas have have reallocated these aircraft without crew rest facilities 
and put it on on ultra long haul or long haul. I'm not quite sure what routes they're on. And uh, they they're saying, okay, well, we'll block off some seats, which actually damages the airline because they can't sell those to passengers now. So those seats have to be available for the crew, mm. and they don't have the privacy curtains, and it's pretty uncomfortable, even if you've got a mattress to lay down over four seats. Uh, compared with uh, a proper lie flat bed or a bunk, the, which is the normal crew rest for uh, the crew. Um, so this is a very much, a, a, you know, an ad hoc measure. Um, the fact that the uh, can of the you couldn't shut the lights off mm. is actually relatively common on aircraft. Those computerized systems, which do all the fancy lights. They do have a tendency to, uh, <laughs> perhaps they're hired by Microsoft, uh, <laughs> to stop working at times. Yeah. Uh, and I've been on, excuse me, been on flights where the lights are just stuck on full bright the whole way. Right. And if you're trying to take crew rest, that's, that's, that's pretty tough. So that seems to be what's generated this story, that, that the crew were trying to put blankets up just to so they could get some decent shut-eye. Um, but um, it sounds to me like the airline were ill-prepared to put these aircraft mm. onto a long-haul route and just didn't have the proper facil- facilities on board. And I, I genuinely feel quite sorry for the cabin crew here to trying to to get well, some rest. Oh, yeah, you know it's awful. I mean? it's, yeah. If, 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 you, if you don't... If you're just cabin crew sitting in a seat trying to get some crew mm. rest or whatever, passengers don't know what the system is. They'll no. come and shake you awake and ask for a cup of coffee or yeah, whatever. Absolutely. Uh, if you're in the ca- aircraft cabin, which is why it's so important. If you want to have well-rested cabin crew to do their important duties for the entire flight, you've got to give them decent crew rest. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, as you say, not not an ideal situation. <laughs> No. at all it's uh, i mean anything to add to that andy uh no obviously this is not something that i um come across at work no I, true I, um, <laughs> i'll give you that <laughs> I, I can't even imagine how awful it is to have to lie down in seats like that with a blanket over you and have passengers hassling life out of you there is a reason why i work behind a, a locked bulletproof door oh, just yes. for another person <laughs> um because I would be sacked within minutes of being cabin crew. Right, yeah. And I, I couldn't do the job. I couldn't, no. I couldn't do it. And I have a lot of respect for them. So this is uh, Indeed. not the basis we're at a rest. Absolutely not. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for your comments on all of those stories, guys. It's, now, Matt, uh, yeah, go on. Before you move on, oh, you've no. got to open it. <laughs> okay, right. Do you, want, do you want to tell, do you want to tell yeah. the story then on, on this? Go on. So when... when, uh, <laughs> when when Matt and Carlos asked me to be on tonight, I suddenly remember that I had something in the house from 2019. 2019? That I was meant to give to Matt, yeah. Right. I've had it for a long time. <laughs> okay. In fact, I've moved three houses with it. Have you? Right. Um, yeah. And I thought, right, I'm going to send it down to him now. It's something that you need. Okay. Um, and we'll help you out on this show a lot. Oh, no. Right. Okay, here we go. All right, so, uh, yes, there, there we go. I what thought... is it, a loaded revolver? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Charm. Thanks, Nick. Just uh, <laughs> 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 shoot the unruly guests. Uh, yeah, then. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't work when they're all remote nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm at the other ends of the country from you. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They're not daft. Okay, I'm having a little trouble getting in. I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> I've just sent the actress to the bishop. <laughs> Quite. Hang on. Here we go. There you go. That's the bit you want to pull. Ah, there we go. Here we go. Oh, no. Ooh, it's got an airplane on it. Yeah. It has. <laughs> Oh, 
I love it. Uh, it says on it, here we go, let me hold that up to the camera. Civil Aircraft it's... Recognition Book. Right. <laughs> uh, there'll be a test, presumably, Andy. Right, yeah. oh, OK. Yes, How long? He's, he's, he's got three weeks. I've got three, three weeks, weeks oh, to study. Oh, you're generous, wow. Oh, wow, and OK. May, and you might be able to do well at the Christmas quiz this year or something. Right, like that. yeah, that's true. OK, <laughs> Lithuania. Well, I've heard of one of the airlines in here so far, that's good. Uh, it's not I've, airlines, it's aircraft. Aircraft, right. Uh, uh, the word bong, boing, seems to be appearing quite a lot. That's quite nice. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. This is really quite cool. <laughs> this is actually quite cool. Well, there I you go. This. I shall have a, th- a thumb through with this. Uh, there's a Cessna. That, uh, the only Cessnas I've ever seen are not that big. <laughs> That's a proper one. That's a grown-up one, is it? Oh, well, thank well, you, Andy. I'm, that, I'm glad I finally me, got it to you. <laughs> yeah, that'll keep me amused for a little while, won't it? No, yeah, no more excuses now when you don't no, know what the aircraft no, is. Pull your book out. Yeah, OK. I'm going to have to go and do some significant research. Uh, <laughs> OK. Uh, we're going to, Unfortunately, we have lost Armando now, but we're going to plot on. We're going to do uh, three of the military stories that, uh, that uh, he has put in there for us. So if everybody is ready, uh, we'll get stuck in, shall we? You bet. And our first story, Andy, is with you. Yes, and this is from thedrive.com. It's um, RC-135 jets flew unprecedented mission to spy on Russia's new ICBM. In a highly unusual move, a pair of US Air Force RC-135S Cobra Ball intelligence-gathering aircraft flew together towards the east coast of Russia today. The reason for the two-aircraft mission was the first full-scale test launch of Russia's new RS-28 Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile, one of the six superweapons that were showcased by President Vladimir Putin back in March 2018. The two RC-135S aircraft, serial numbers 62-4128 and 61-2663, launched from Elson Air Force Base in Alaska, I've probably got that wrong, earlier today, and apparently flew in formation towards Russia's far east coast. Online flight tracking software shows the aircraft close to St. Matthew Island, a remote, uninhabited outpost of Alaska, in the Bering Sea. The two Cobra Balls were observing the Sarmat's multiple independently targetable re-entry vehicle, MIRV, test warheads as they returned to Earth on a designated area at the Kura Proving Ground on the, oh, wow, Kamkatcha Peninsula <laughs> in the Russian Far East. Typically, the Cobra Ball would take up station closer to the Russian coast with an orbit area off Kailuchi, also on the Kamkatcha Peninsula. It's possible, therefore, that the two RC-135S aircraft today were caught short with re-entry occurring before the jets reached their planned station. The war zone spoke to Robert S. Hopkins III, an independent scholar and aviation historian and a former Air Force pilot with experience flying 17 different C-135 sub-variants, including both the RC-135S Cobra Ball aircraft involved today, to get a better understanding of the rarity of this mission. The immediate conclusion of today's flights to be that 
uh, U.S. intelligent officials were so desperate to collect data on this particular first-of-its-kind ICBM test that they sent two aircraft to monitor it. As Hopkins confirmed, however, having two aircraft in the, same, in the air at the same time could also have other benefits. For one, the Cobra balls could have been collecting data at different altitudes to cover the ICBM's re-entry. Also, it may have been a case of testing new equipment with different fits on each aircraft. There's also a potentially more mundane explanation for the two-ship Cobra Ball mission. It could be the case that the primary RC-135S had a tech problem, which meant the ground spare was launched instead. Then, once the primary jet was flight ready, it took off too and joined the spare in the same area. As to the capabilities that the RC-135S brings to this kind of mission, and has done since the Cold War, this is a topic that we have covered previously including oh well there's they've gone see other stories that they've got in their uh, collection there ah, okay yeah no fair enough uh well <laughs> so two snoopers snooping yeah absolutely <laughs> they, they've been doing this since you know the very first russian um nuclear weapons were being detonated uh and uh they, you know, these aircraft do a remarkable job. So um, I suspect they've got much more sophisticated equipment than they did in the early days. Mm. But uh, you know, it's it's a it's a tricky job because you have to sneak up to the Russians and uh, stay in international airspace and yet still monitor their uh, their test. So yeah, all you know. Take your hats off to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Spy planes are still going. It's still going stronger. Uh, well, yeah. we're talking drones next, Nick. Uh, military drones, to be precise. So do you want me to drone along with this? <laughs> see what you This do is there. from yeah. thedrive.com. Uh, so it's the V247 tilt rotor drone downsized for strike roll aboard Navy ships. So Bell... Uh, they make motorcycle helmets, don't they? Um, <laughs> has resurrected yes. the unmanned uh, V-247 Vigilant designed for the Marine Corps and scaled it down for use as a strike and surveillance aircraft aboard Navy ships where the autonomous tilt rotor can fit in the same space as an MH-60R, about the same size as my uh, Audi, I think, and before many of the manned helicopter missions. No, seriously, I have no idea what that MH-60R is. Anyone know? No. No, I had, uh, this is uh, where we uh, this is where we miss our mondo, of course. <laughs> yeah, we could have done with some dimensions here, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> um, designed as a contender for the Marine Air Ground Task Force Unmanned Aerial System Experimental, or MUX program, Bell's uh, V four, uh, sorry, two four seven Vigilant is now on offer to the larger sea service for the future vertical lift maritime strike development effort. <sighs> that called for shaving several thousand pounds from the aircraft's fuselage and a right sizing, which I think is cutting down to the appropriate dimensions. <laughs> the rotor blades, nacelles, and other elements of the aircraft to meet Navy requirements. Todd Warden, Bell's Senior Manager for Advanced Lift, Vertical Lift Systems and Strategy, told the war zone. Uh, that was a large aircraft that could do a whole lot of missions, Warden said of MUX. A lot of them were very difficult to do, but we sized the 247 to meet those missions. It had a different set of missions, and we re-evaluated how big the aircraft was 
and were able to right-size their <laughs> They like that phrase, don't they? <laughs> it's like going for a new suit. Would you like the right size, sir? If you would No, mind, no, yes. it'd be one that's twice the size I need. Um, right-size the aircraft for the Navy. Uh, what that did was um, made the combat compatibility with the cruiser the destroyers that much better by getting uh, right they made it fit more ships okay Okay, good lively so now it's very comparable to an aircraft that's currently embarked on those service combatants the 60 romeo so they they seem to have trimmed down this uh, Mm. this drone successfully uh and it's still doing lots of missions um, the original design was for a gross weight of thirty thousand pounds, and it was designed, uh, sized down, downsized to twenty-eight thousand pounds. So they knocked two thousand pounds off it. Mm. Uh, perhaps leaving the pilot out because it's a drone; yeah. you don't need a pilot for. Well, a quite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, an MH60R by comparison has a maximum gross weight of twenty-three thousand five hundred, and that's a Sikorsky uh, Seahawk. There you go. If you want to know. Ah, okay. Oh, well, there you Ooh, go. hello. <laughs> that oh, was okay. unexpected. <laughs> it's called Google. Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so, long story short, it's a drone. Uh, it's been cut down I- uh, in size, and so it's compatible with more aircraft and other bits and pieces. I and... tell you what, it's got an interesting list of uh, capabilities, on. though. Yeah. It is uh, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, and targeting, mm. surface warfare, so presumably it can fire a missile. Oh, okay. Anti-submarine warfare, so presumably it can drop center boys and or fire torpedoes. Mine countermeasures, so it must have some mine-detecting equipment. Air warfare, I'm not quite sure how it does that. Wow. Mm. Uh, Electronic warfare, search and rescue. Wow. And how does a drone do search and rescue? That's incredible. Cameras, I guess, uh, and sort of infrared yeah. and all Command that. Command and control will be, you know, feeding mm. intelligence back to the boys sitting in the ship. And SOF support. I mean, I suppose essentially this thing is being flown by a human uh, of some description with computer support. But nevertheless, somebody is essentially looking at the cameras uh, as the eyes, if you like, watching what, what's going on, I suppose. Put- where do you put someone once you've rescued them? Do you just drag them behind you in the water? Yeah, I think yeah, they, dang, they yeah, dangle, dangle underneath dangle on the wire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keep them, keep them busy. Sort yeah. of. Yeah, you, you only want to it. rescue one at a time, or they bang together oh, like quite conquers. absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Uh, but uh, yeah, a fascinating bit of kit. As I say, I think this is the this is the way everything's going, isn't it? I think there's more and more of of this is going to be uh, people not actually in aircraft and you know being flown remotely doing doing a lot of these ac- activities. I think. Yeah, that, that reflects the price of them as well, mm. because, you know, some of these trains are inordinately expensive. Yeah. Almost as much as a as an actual aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, yes. maybe not quite that, but... Uh, OK, well, we'll move on then to the last story in the military for this week. Uh, this is uh, warbirdnews.com is where this is coming from, and it's the WASP 80th anniversary homecoming celebration and family mm. reunion. 2022 marks the 80th year of the Women Air Force Service Pilots, WASP. Uh, the quasi... Is it quasi-military? Is that correct? Quasi military organization which uh, trained. Quasi, yes. Quasi. Semi would be an alternative word. Hello, I appear to have set off my Google. I do apologize. Uh- <laughs> 
the, the quasi-military organisation which trained women to fly, test aircraft and train other pilots during World War II. Uh, the programme traces its roots to a pair of smaller units formed in September 1942. As part of their off- efforts over uh, to celebrate this major anniversary, the National WASP World War II Museum is holding a special event over April 29th, 30th or in 2022 at the Avenger Field at the base in Sweetwater, Texas, where many of the WASPs underwent their training. To honour America's first females to fly military aircraft, the museum is recreating a wartime party scene complete with WASP reenactors, a live swing band, good food and, best of all, aircraft. Uh, The flight line will once again host the training uh, aircraft the WASP flew, including 11 BT-13s and many other wonderful World War II-era birds, including the B-25 and the DC-3. All female crews will also be in attendance alongside their US Air Force, Army, Marine Corps and Navy aircraft. Visitors will enjoy many other activities, including the opening of a permanent exhibit describing the American history of black pilots curated by historian Monica Smith and a special temporary exhibit on John and Marie Clark, B-17 and WASP pilots, respectively, courtesy of the Yankee Air Museum. Other activities during the two-day celebration will include author signings, special conversations and the cadet zone. Saturday's fly-in and activities are free, while Friday's dinner and dance fundraiser is a ticketed event to raise money for all new exhibits in Hangar 2, a hangar dating from 1929, which formed part of the Sweetwater's first airport. Uh, If you want more information on this event, or if you are in Texas or heading to Texas and would like to purchase some tickets or learn more information about Hangar 2 renovations, contact the go to their website is www.waspmuseum.org that's waspmuseum all one word dot org and it's uh i mean some of the photos and stuff that i've got here uh of it i mean it looks like it's going to be a great event uh it's uh I, I, I mean, I love anything like this. I, I love the history uh, of this sort of thing. As you well know, Nick, I, as I say, it's one of the, the nicest pleasures I've ever had is wandering around some of the, the bases that we've been. Like Goodwood, I think, was a, a particularly memorable uh, visit with you, actually. It's sort of, um, I think it was, um, um, I'm trying to remember, um, the... Uh, uh, where we went near where the... Because um, uh, there was an airfield, wasn't there, nearby where we went for the tea rooms and... There is. Uh, yeah. Goodwood is an airfield and a mm. motor racing circuit, so you get the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah although no racing when we were there, unfortunately. But. <laughs> so that, that is the Volte. You just showed a picture of one there, mm. uh, the, which is that kind of B-17 uh, trainer, a uh, 13 trainer. Yeah. And uh, the other aircraft you mentioned was the B-25 Mitchell, which you had on a little earlier as well. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great event if you're in the area. Obviously, I would uh, recommend going if you can. Well, there that, we go. Uh, uh, that looks like one of the originals. It does, doesn't it? Look at that. Oh, hello. What have we got there? Or have I gone round? Oh, don't know. Oh, that was from the. Like that was the. That was the Skyhawk. That was the other story. <laughs> Sorry, we're not doing that one now. Uh, well, there we go. That is uh, that is the military done. Well done, everyone. We survived. Uh, cool. <laughs> 
And I should think so too. <laughs> Absolutely. Cheeky rat. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And that's where we bring uh, episode number 408 to a close. My personal thanks to Nick and Andy for joining me today. Uh, as I say, Carlos is on the radio at the moment. That's why he's not here. And obviously Armando is now flying. Nev is actually travelling back from Norwich as we speak, uh, which is why he wasn't able to join us. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for this week's show. Um, got anything exciting in your calendar for next week, Nick? Uh, well, the bowling season started. Whee! So, uh, yeah, I'm getting out onto the uh, green and uh, commencing bowling. Uh, and um, I don't think so. I'm struggling to think of a subject for a plain tale. So that'll be my next job. Excellent. Sounds good to me. Uh, so uh, I presume a, a full uh, schedule of flying is in, 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 the, in the order of the day for you, Andy? Yes, well, today was day one, and yep. that was spent in my office doing right. work. Right, <laughs> okay. um, that went well. <laughs> the rest of the week, Santorini tomorrow, Antalya the day after, Tenerife the day after that. Wow. Um, yeah, so busy. Then hopefully some cricket next week. Some cricket? To, to watch. Not, not oh, I see, right, I guess I say. No, cricket today at the pub with something to watch. Indeed. Oh, well, there it is. Who's playing? I'll be Durham. Oh, oh, oh a, bit, a, bit, a bit of county Durham. cricket. Yeah. Durham, yes. Durham, Durham. The home of the Pink Panther. <laughs> yeah. See what he did there. Uh, <laughs> okay. As I say, well, thanks very much for joining me, guys, and for, for seeing me through Always this. And, uh, yeah, that's it uh, from us. Take care, everyone, and we will see you bright and breezy next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers, everybody.